morning, Joel. First, good to see you this morning. Everybody doing, is summer off to a good start? Okay, I'll take that as a no. Uh, well, it's good to see you anyway. A uh, couple things before we begin this morning. Uh, the first thing is this. Uh, if you come next week, we won't be here. And the reason why is we have pastors and people who are going to a conference in Indianapolis, and it is an entire week long, and so we won't be here next week. So we're encouraging you to do two things. Uh, one, I wouldn't typically encourage you to do this, but because we're gone next week, I'll encourage you to stay home, enjoy your family, and have a Sabbath for just a few minutes. Uh, if you just have to go to church and feel like, uh, if I don't go, then I'm going to hell, um, which you won't, by the way, I'm just letting you know that, uh, we, then we are encouraging you to go to another church and come back and let us, notice that point, come back and then let us know uh, what that church did well and how we can improve what we're do doing at this church. Uh, the second thing is this. Last week, we started a new initiative called Project 23. Now, uh, out of the entire sermon, it wasn't apparent to people where the 23 came from. Even though we were reading in Leviticus, can you say it? 23, right. We were in 23, 22, and last week we said that we will be the edges of the field, and we will remember the poor as a church. And so we started this new initiative called Project 23. We are asking you to fast a meal, and then out of your hunger, which is a, a sign of solidarity with the poor, give the money you would have spent on that meal to our Project 23 initiative. Now, this week uh, is a great story because we have needs around us. And this week, we have somebody who works here who has a coworker whose house literally burnt down to the ground this week, all the way to the ground, including their entire wardrobe. This person went to Chicago. They had burns all over their body. And who would have thought that Project 23 could support and fund socks and clothes and sandals for somebody who lost their entire wardrobe this last week. Because you have decided to invest in Project 23. Somebody else was clothed this week. You should give yourselves a hand. That's amazing. That's fantastic. So, if you're part of the initiative and you have joined us on this journey, back in the back is the box called Project 23. Put your money in there, and all that money goes to help people in need. All right, would you pray for, this, for me this morning as we begin this unseries? Lord, we give thanks for this day, uh, for this opportunity to worship you, to stand in your presence, and to glorify you. Uh, we just take these few moments and give them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to acknowledge our fathers. Fathers, thank you for being fathers. It is a good day when fathers are around, so thank you for being present with your families. Uh, we have started this new series called Best Summer Unseries because we feel like it's best in the summer not to do a series because you're gone, you're not here, you're on vacation, you're out in the sun, and we're okay with that uh, for a little while, but we want every week when you come here to feel like you haven't missed anything. So we're doing something we typically don't do, and we're just preaching whatever we want to preach over the summer, which is fun. And I tell you what, I, this week was fun for me because I learned things I've never learned before, which is where we're going to start. Let's start this morning. Uh, would you stand with me for the reading of Genesis 18? Genesis 18. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Genesis, you have to understand this is God's beginning. Uh, this is the beginning of God's story, and it's unlike any other God who shows up in the midst of history. 
and is kind of expanding humanity's consciousness and awareness of what God wants from his people for this world. And so that's what Genesis is all about, is this growing, messy, weird, like inbred story that doesn't make sense. But it's, it, it's a story that's going somewhere of God changing the world. Genesis 18. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham took up and looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance to his tent to, to meet them, and he bowed low to the, to the ground, and he said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get something to eat so you can be refreshed, and, and then you can go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham started hurrying around to the tent where Sarah was, and he said, hurry, hurry, give me some seeds and make the finest flour and knead it into some beautiful cakes. Cake decorator Sarah gets to work. So then he ran to the herd while she was making cakes, and he selected a choice tender calf, and he gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf, and they had prepared it all, and they set it before the, the, the Lord. And while they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Where is your wife, Sarah, they asked. He said, she's over there in the tent. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you this next time in a year, and she will have a son. Now Sarah was off stage. She was in the tent making these cakes, and she was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind, and, 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 and she said, I am very old, and I am past childbearing. So Sarah laughed. I love this. We're going to talk about this today. She laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn and old and my Lord Abraham is very old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Will, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is there anything that is too wonderful for me? That's the language there. Wonderful for me. I will return and she will have a son. So Sarah was afraid and so she lied. She said, I didn't laugh. And I love how the story ends. But he said, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Y'all may be seated. Well, I often wonder, do you get the sense that you were designed for something more? You feel like you were designed for something more, and yet, whatever the more is, seems to elude you. It appears out of your reach. It seems out of your grasp. No matter how much you run after it, you feel like you can never catch it, and it feels like it is impossible. But there is something about the human soul that strives for what is impossible. I want you to think with me back to when you were in, in middle school and junior high, maybe just middle school. You see, in class, there was always that one person, that one guy, that one girl. For me, it was this young little lady named Catherine Strauss. She was this brown-haired, brown-eyed, cute little girl who was pretty. She was very quiet. But man, she was the one. 
She was the one that everyone wanted, not just me. And so what was interesting is, as a kid, you want the best. You don't realize that things are impossible. So in my mind, I would love for this young little lady to be my girlfriend. If you can have a girlfriend in second grade. You can, you can, apparently you can. And I remember thinking that I would love for her to just date me, whatever a date looks like in second grade. And I wasn't aware of, 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 of self-consciousness. I wasn't aware of social constructs that she might have be in a different class than I am, that she was actually better looking than I was, and that if I were to date this young lady, I would be out kicking my coverage. Some of you will get that if you play football. Um, but I still wanted what was impossible. And you, you can remember that person, right? You, you wanted the best. You wouldn't suffice for something else. But there's something within the soul that is longing and desiring greatness, purpose, and meaning. We don't want to be average. We don't want to fail. We strive for what is impossible. We do. So my question this morning is, where is this ambition? Where is this deeply seated core of the human existence? Where does this come from? Where does reaching for those things that out of our reach come from? And this morning's story is a wonderful, wonderful example. It's not an answer story. It's an example of what God does in our lives. So this morning, we're introduced to Abraham and Sarah. And uh, I, I love it. Uh, the story begins like this. It says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Now, we would read over the first sentence and go right to the juicy details of the stories, the fact that he's old, he's 90, and somehow God's going to give them a child. Uh, we skip over the fact that the Lord appeared to Abraham. And uh, I've been thinking about this this week, that in the ancient days, God did not, gods did not appear to people, they exploited people. So for a God to show up at somebody's tent was something new. It was something exciting. It was actually a miracle. It was something that was impossible. And the question I've been asking this week is, how does Abraham recognize that this impossibility is made possible and that is actually the face of God standing in front of him? How does he know this? And we have to flip back a few chapters to understand this entire thing. You see, it's funny because it begins by God's word coming to Abraham. Not the face of God, not the flesh of God, but it starts with the word of God coming to Abraham. And he says, guess what? You are going to be an amazing people who does not fight your way through life, but who moves about through the world, bringing life through love and grace and peace. You will be, and he says, a blessing to the world. You will be numerous. You will be beyond the things that you could ever comprehend. I am promising you the impossible. That God has a, a purpose of repairing the world through you, and this is my promise to you. And of course, it seems impossible to Abraham. And so, if you're a good Christian, you'll ask questions. Y'all hear that? Because some of us don't want to ask questions in our faith. We just line up and we do what we're told. Is that not the most 
boring existence ever? So if you want to be a Christian, you got to ask questions, which Abraham is a perfect example. He says, Lord, how in the world is this going to happen? How are you going to give me all these kids? How are we going to be a blessing to the world? How is this going to happen? And so the next way that God speaks to Abraham is he participates in a practice, an ordinary practice that speaks something extraordinary into Abraham's life about the impossible that's going to happen. You see, in ancient days, they didn't have judges. They didn't have lawyers. They didn't have contracts. They had what we call covenants. So if you were entering into a deal with somebody, you would make a covenant with somebody. Step one, you get a bunch of animals. Step two, you cut them in half. Now, I know this is gruesome. You cut them in half. Step three, you place them apart from each other so you have an aisle of animals. Step four, you stand next to the person holding their hand in the aisle and you say together, we are going to such and such, such and such, such and such together. And then together, you walk down this aisle as if to say, if I do not hold my end of the bargain, this is what will become of me. Now, would you want to be cut in half? I wouldn't either. So we find Abraham in this story after he asks this question, God, how will this happen? And God says, go get some animals, cut them in half, line them up, and by step four, Abraham is fast asleep. He is knocked out. I mean, it must have been exhausting. He is passed out and asleep. Step four, you remember this is the part where we stand together and we announce what we're going to do together? Abraham's asleep. And God makes the announcement. He makes the promise on his own, and then we see a smoking fire pot go through this aisle animal, the animal aisle. And this fire pot represents the presence of God. Now, Abraham has passed out at the very beginning when he was cutting the animals up. So God is saying in this moment, don't worry about the impossible. Because I will uphold both ends of the deal in this agreement. Even if you fail, I've got it all. I've got it under control. I promise this will happen. I will do the impossible through you, even when you can't. Now, the funny thing is, next chapter, Abraham's not even living up to his end of the deal. He is shacking up with some servant that's not even his wife so he can bring about his own blessing to the world. He's making these mistakes, and, and, and it's just disastrous. But remember what God said. Abraham, even if you don't hold this end of the deal, I'm still going to make the impossible happen through you. So it's interesting. Chapter, chapter 17, you see, it says, the, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Now, the word appear does not appear the way it appears in this text, in this, in this chapter. You see, we've gone from God's word speaking to Abraham to now we get to an appearance which is actually about understanding and comprehension. Not necessarily about the flesh being made known in this moment. And so Abraham, who has been wrestling with who this God is, who has been questioning, who has taken the promise into his own hands, has not held his end of the deal, is now understanding that if God wants to do the impossible through him, he's going to use 
Abraham. And so Abraham saying, at this moment, I have to step up. Now, if you are going to bring about a new nation, you got to have kids. And to have kids, you have to, to have kids. The irony that in the ancient world, they didn't have science, they didn't have zygotes, they didn't have eggs and sperm and all those other things that all worked together to make a child. What they had was an understanding that the male held the life force and the seed that was possible that would be made, uh, uh, that, that would help the woman conceive the baby. This is really a hard thing to talk about. But what you have to understand this morning is think about this. For the life force, for the very seed to, 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 to enter into the woman, it has to pass through the aisle, just like the fire pot. So, so we don't understand this, that, that, that Abraham is about to literally cut off the very thing that passes through, just like God, who held his end of the deal, passes through the animals on his own. Abraham is now covenanting. This is a sign that I am now passing through to my commitment with Jesus, to God, to, to carry about this commitment. And so my whole point here is we go from word to a, a comprehension and an understanding to mistakes to all of a sudden, God shows up at his door in the flesh and Abraham is ready for this divine encounter. So my question at the beginning, how does he know that this is God? It is because he has gone on this journey. He has been part of this journey. Notice that God didn't start with the impossible. He didn't just give him a bunch of kids. He took him on this journey where they talked together. They learned together. He made mistakes. He asked questions. He took things into his own hands, and God still was there for him in that moment. And I think that is the relationship that he had with God, that he realized when God showed up at his door, this is the God who's asking me to do the impossible. And I know who he is because I have been with him. So he uses the highs. He uses the lows. He uses the possibilities of Abraham to do the impossible over time. God is slowly growing Abraham in a way. He is expanding the possibilities of what Abraham is capable of in order to do what is impossible. See, I often think that we want the more, but rarely are we willing to give more to get to the impossible. I think we want more of God. We're just willing to give him less of who we are. But that's not how it works. If God is going to lead you to the impossible thing that he wants to do in you, the impossible begins by expanding your possibilities. Write that down. That's so good. The impossible begins by expanding your possibilities or what is possible in your life. I love thinking about it this way. I would not take Miles, my two, at the age of two, take him out back, stick him up against a home plate, and throw a 90-mile-per-hour fastball at him and then be frustrated when he didn't hit it. What is your problem, kid? You can't hit a 90-mile-per-hour fastball? I mean, I don't know any two-year-olds that can do that, let alone a 9-mile-per-hour 
per, per hour fastball. Think about this. You have to start somewhere, right? The kid doesn't know what a bat is. He doesn't know what home plate is. He doesn't know what baseball is. And so what does he do? What would a good father do? They would give him a bat. They'd teach him how to hold it. They'd teach him the stance. And even after you've taught him the stance, after you've taught him the grip, they still wouldn't know how to hit a nine-mile-per-hour fastball. No, no, you, you, you stick the ball on the tee. And you teach them that in order to hit the ball, you keep your eyes on the ball. And it's this process. And so there's this process of him hitting the ball off the tee where he learns the practice and the strategies of how to hit a ball. Does that mean he can hit a 90-mile-per-hour fastball? No. But over time, that first pitch comes. And he may strike out a few times. He may mess up a few times, but eventually he hits it. And again, and again, and again, and we go from 20 miles per hour to 40 to 50 to 90 to where he's playing in the major leagues. God help us. I tell you what, that'd be great. Throw, show some love to his dad. Uh, hitting a 90-mile-per-hour fastball takes time. But at the age of two, it appears to be impossible. You see, it is expanding the possibilities of what you have to get to the impossible. Perhaps God is wanting to do something impossible through you. He's wanting you to look to new heights. He's wanting to move you in a direction that aligns your life's habits with God's hopes for the world. He is wanting you to be an instrument of his grace and peace. He wants you to be an embodiment of Christ in the world. You are called to the more. You are called to the impossible. But let me just say this. Don't look to the impossible. Live in the process. Don't look to the impossible because it's the impossible that will call you to quit. You got to live in the process. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the times where you mess up. Enjoy the times where you don't get it right. Enjoy those moments where you question God, his existence, who he is, and whether he can do what he says he's going to do. That is the process of relationship with God. So don't look at the impossible. Live in the process. I love how the story ends. Now, this is the best part. Sarah has a response to God's word that he will make true his promise of having a son. And her response is one of laughter. Now, we have been taught in the church that this laughter is unacceptable. You shall never laugh at Jesus Christ your Lord, ever. But can I just say that there is more going on to, to Sarah's laughter than what you think? You see, laughter for the Jews is complicated. It, it's layered. It's nuanced. It, it doesn't really make sense to us, especially for those of us who don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> those of you who are laughing that actually do. <laughs> See, laughter for the Jews was about scoffing at authority, and you would do the same. You would laugh if you were oppressed and enslaved. You would laugh in order to make light of the situation, and it was a way of just saying to authority, Psh, you have no power over us. Now, that's how we often read this story, that Sarah is scoffing at God, laughing at God. But what if I told you this? That laughter for the Jews was about blurring lines. Now that's important. It was about 
making things that don't go together go together. For them, it was about the sacred found in the secular. It was about the dirt and the divine. It was about humanity and something being holy. And, 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 and laughter for them is this convoluted scandal of heaven and earth now repurposing itself together to repair a world in this mystical relationship that doesn't make sense. All for the purpose of doing the impossible. It is about God and us working together. This is what laughter express, is expressed in when the Jews, when Sarah is laughing, she is acknowledging before God that, yes, you can do this through us. She's laughing. She's blurring the lines between God and humanity. Now, I love the language. I love what she says. She says, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have this pleasure? What's funny for Sarah is, her husband has literally just cut himself and God has literally just promised them a kid, but she has, he has cut himself in a place that is quite vital to actually having kids. You see the humor in this, right? A 90, by the way, he's 90 years old, a 90 year old man running around who had literally just cut his, himself off and God is promising a kid and she's saying, yeah, how's that gonna happen? Uh, can you explain this to me? And you would laugh too, right? Because why she has, there's an uncertainty about God's promise because she's certain that Abraham can't follow through. You get what I'm throwing down today. It's interesting to me that when Sarah says she will take, when God says she will take pleasure, she, when she says, I will have this pleasure, she's not actually talking about the birth of Isaac. She's actually talking about the intimacy with her husband. What she is excited about in this moment is, oh my goodness, it has been 70 years since we have made wild, passionate whoopee. And God is going to make it happen in this moment. I will have this pleasure. And I know it seems weird, but her laughter is an acknowledgement that God will use a pleasurable act to do something to bring about his promise. I love that. He will use pleasure to bring about a promise. And she's laughing again to say, God, I know that you will be in this act. And that feels really weird for most of us. But if you look at Genesis, when it says God knows you, there's a sexual undertone to it that God knows us like, like a sexual intimacy that you would have with a partner. And that feels weird. But that's, that's the kind of God that we have, that he knows us that well. She says, I'll have this pleasure. That I'll actually have joy of bringing about this promise. And see, again, laughter is about blurring the lines. And I think that's why she refers to her husband in this text as Lord and not Abraham. You see, at the beginning of the text, it says the Lord appeared and the Lord translated there as Adonai, but it also says when she refers to Abraham, Lord, which is also Adonai. So she actually, the text refers to God as Adonai, but it also refers to Abraham as Adonai. And that's important because we have to understand that God's impossibilities come through the possibilities of what we can do. He uses us to bring about the goodness in the world that he wants. And I love how this story ends. 
She says, I, I didn't laugh. I promise I didn't laugh. And the Lord says, yes, you did. And we often read that line as a corrective, sort of condescending, like, who are you, Sarah, to laugh at me, God? But I think what God is doing is in this moment is he's saying, own up to the laughter. I need you to live up to the, to the laughter. I need you to take pleasure in the process. That's what laughter is all about, is taking pleasure in the process. And so God is saying, laugh your way through this life. Why does the Christian life have to be so miserable and boring? And I'm telling you, it doesn't. It doesn't. There is more to it than this. You should take pleasure in the process of God molding you and shaping you into the impossible thing that he wants to do through you. So this morning, my question is, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? You see, this entire narrative is about the process of birthing the impossible possibilities. That's what this story is about. It is about the birthing of impossible possibilities. I want to speak to those of you this morning who are questioning your faith. I want to speak to those this morning who may not call themselves followers. I want to speak to those who have questions about what it means to be a Christian. See, I firmly believe that deep down, if you don't believe or you don't believe in God or you don't think there is a God, there is something inside of you that wants something more. Like there's something inside your heart and your soul that aches for something different than what you currently have. And you, you can't quite understand, why do I want something more? What is that more all about? But the reality is there's a purpose for you that you've yet to realize or understand. And you feel like you are stuck you are stuck behind the possibilities and you can't see the impossible because you've never met a God who will do the impossible. And can I just ask you this morning, if you, you, you've never followed for the first time in your life, may this be the day. And let me just say, enjoy the pleasure of the process. You can still have questions. You still won't fully understand who God is. In fact, the entirety of our faith is a mystery. If you had it figured out, you'd stop coming to church. You'd stop being a Christian because it would really be boring if you, you knew everything. So take pleasure in the process that God is calling you to do something more. And the more is that he is a God who is repairing this world around us. See, we look at the world and we say, we look at the violence, we look at the hatred, we look at the racism, we look at the hunger, we look at all those things and say, what can we do? That's impossible. But you know what? It's the little possibility when you say, I think I'll follow. I'll take on new purpose. It's little lives, one at a time. And while we look at the grand scheme of the impossible, let me just say, it's about expanding our possibilities. Look at the process of what God is doing. Each of you stands here today as an image of what redemption and restoration looks like. And that it was impossible at one point, right? Some of you think back to where you were in life. I love, I had dinner with Sandy and Dan, and Dan Jones shared, shared with us his, his story. 
And I tell you what, he poured his heart out with tears because he recognized what life was like before God. And he recognized the moment when he accepted God. And life for him was never the same. I feel like there are some of you here who have been following God and you feel like God is calling you to more, but you, re- you just can't understand what that is. You feel like he's, he's going to do something impossible, but you can't figure out how to go about it. Can I just tell you that it's probably right under your nose? I get that many of you hate your job, but rarely do we view our job as, as an opportunity to participate in the process of repairing God's world. It's about expanding Expanding your consciousness, expanding your life, expanding the possibilities in your life to be used in places where we think God isn't even present. He's not at my job. He's not at the store. Can I just say this morning? Every opportunity presented to you is an expanded possibility of God's impossibilities. I want to speak to us as a church this morning. I feel like we are in a birthing process. I mean, I feel like the baby is just kicking. The baby is kicking in the stomach. We are about to give birth to something new. God is showing up. He has asked us to covenant with him. He's asking us to cut off the old and get ready for the new thing he's going to do. And we have many who have said, yes, I'm on board. My question this morning today is, in what way are you laughing? See, I get that there are some of us who will stand off stage with our arms crossed and we will scoff at the authority of God's impossibilities and say, that will never happen. And I will not enjoy the process of a God who is change and asks for change and wants us to change in order to reach new people and lost people. And we laugh as if, who is this God? But then there are some of you who are laughing And your laughter is about an understanding that God works in the dirt and the divine, in the human, in the holy. He works in all of us in a way that that moves to the impossibles of life. And he, he will expand us, he will use us, he will grow us. I'm telling you, the mission impossible for us is to reach Joliet. I guarantee you the community rarely knows that we're here. They hardly know we're standing here. But yet we have a vision to be present in this very community. To reach lost people. And slowly but surely, we are taking the steps. A good majority of you are saying, yes, I'll take that step. Uh Uh-huh, I'll expand the possibility right here. And before you know it, I don't know how long it's going to take, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, but there will be a year where we will look back and we will say, that for us was impossible, but God used the possibilities of our life in order to do it. So what are you laughing at? How are you laughing is a better question. Can I invite you? If you have that sense that there is something different and more in life than what you're currently doing or where you're at, listen to it. Be obedient to it. Enjoy it. Take pleasure Enjoy the pleasure of change. Enjoy the pleasure of the process. And I look forward to the impossible thing that God's going to do. I don't know what it is.
but I know we have to take one step of obedience at a time. This morning, if, if you feel like God is moving you to something more in your life, I would ask that you would come and receive from this table this morning. For those serving communion this morning, would you come forward? One of our responses to God doing something as impossible is when we look at the cross and we acknowledge that life that was impossible for most of us was made possible by the cross and Jesus' sacrifice. So if you're feeling like God is calling you to more, if you feel like God is calling you to something different, would you come this morning and receive God's grace? Would you acknowledge his mercy in your life? Would you participate in the meal of mission this morning? Let me pray. Lord, we are thankful for a God who shows up in our faces and tells us about the amazing things that he wants to do, that you want to do in our lives. Lord, I pray that in order to recognize your face and the impossible things that you're calling us to, we would in this very moment acknowledge that we have part in the process, but we should take pleasure and enjoyment in this process. That you are calling us to new heights, to new purposes, to new mission, to something more in life. Would you use us? Would you teach us? Would you bold us? Would you shape us? And may these elements this morning that are being presented, that will be eaten in our lives, may it become who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.